I'm Richard Lannan, Rides with Cannon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Nozzle. The Nozzle team captures photos, videos and drone footage from locations across the UK to create content for your social media and case studies for your website. To find out more about Nozzle's pay-as-you-go and monthly packages, visit nozzle.media. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk with Pete Fletcher from J Banks & Co. In this conversation, Pete talks us through his fenestration journey, all the way from how he started to the position he's in today. So, without further ado, let's get started. Pete. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on. How did you get into the fenestration world? Uh, it, well, it's, it's a, a long and weird story, but I mean, admittedly, originally I, I trained as a car designer, so I wanted to get into automotive originally, and then I had a few jobs before I managed to get an automotive job, which ultimately was Sea line in Kidderminster. I used to make uh, motor yachts, where I, I had a brief stint there when I was a designer, and I did the cabinetry for the insides of these yachts, so, you know, furniture and whatnot, and then ultimately... Unfortunately, they weren't necessarily the best employer, uh, so I ended up started looking elsewhere, and that's when I came across J Banks, who were literally very local to me, it turned out at the time. I wasn't aware of this when I first found them, but they were literally walking distance from my house. Uh, they was they were uh, advertising for a designer, a design engineer, and, a, a, and then the rest of the, they say, is, is history. Yeah, that's, that's where I got into um, the... Yeah. yeah, I'm fascinated by the boat uh, because so they they were like Sunseekers. That's the brand that. I... Uh, yeah, they were a competitor of Sunseeker originally. They they started off life making small uh, river craft, I suppose, um, fairly small uh, boats that you could you know just frolic around on the river, and that, they were well suited in Kidderminster because where the factory was was right onto a canal, so they could literally build the boats and stick it straight in the water, and the customers could. Drive off. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that's not the correct term. Uh, pilot these craft. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's that's how they started, and then ultimately they got into more sea sea going uh, fare. So they, the boats got bigger and bigger over the years. But unfortunately, they was always a bit limited by the fact that their location was about as far away from the sea as you could be, and then ultimately that dictated how big a boat you could build. So I think our, our largest boat we made while I was there was 60 foot because that was about the limit of what you could fit on the back of a lorry. You still had to have a police escort of that size, you know, and, and sort of it was a wide load. Uh, uh, but, yeah, they, they were quite known for making sort of your enthusiast's boat, really. They they were built to sort of take a punishment, you know. They they could they weren't for posing on. They were for people who wanted to, you know, go across the world and, 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 and chance their hand at rough seas. Right. Um, but while still being fairly plush, you know, they were, you know, the, the, the bigger boats were... You know, they were akin to a small house. You know, I'd, I'd quite happily lived on one. But they were a plaything, uh, ultimately, you know. Uh, you still had to have a fair bit of wedge to have one of those. And so we used to have, you know, on the days the customers would visit to come see their boats built, you know, you'd have a fleet of exotic cars in the car park, which is usually quite impressive. I don't know if any of them were celebrities, but uh, I, I never got to meet them, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but that says a lot about the design, because... It- if you're thinking to, to hit the rough stuff, you know, you've got to design, and like you say, and people will make mistakes. They're going to they're bang into the... Yeah, you'd hear about it if there was a problem. You know, I mean, we had a couple of engineers who, you could argue, had quite an enviable job, really, because they'd, they'd often have to, you know, go to various places wherever this boat was moored 
to do any if you had to have any repairs or whatever. Um, you know, so sometimes they'd be going to Monaco or whatever for a weekend. Right. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't always that pleasant. You know, I think one guy said he had to go to some very uh, obscure part of Russia and you know be back within 24 hours. It was a bit of a oh, wow. mad one, but you know, I'm sure he saw parts of the world. But yeah, yeah, they had to be designed to be. Um, you know, they were used enthusiastically, so they had to take a punishment. So emphasis was on quality. And again, I mean, that was a you know a, a great British product. Unfortunately. Uh, the credit crunch came and uh, they they you know, didn't survive it ultimately. They were sold by their mother company, that was Brunswick. And I think some of it ended up at Sunseeker. I think they bought the rights to some of the lines and bought some of the tooling. So some of it, I'm sure, is still, you so, know, or maybe a descendant of is still in the manufacturer today. But, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. But ultimately, obviously, my destiny brought me this way. <laughs> And then, so before that, what, what other jobs did you do before? Uh... Uh, well, when I finished uni, I did a, a bit of everything, really. Uh, jack of all trades, uh, master of none, or whatever the expression is. And, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd had a little bit of experience making parts for cars and motorcycles. So I got back into sort of making fiberglass components for a stint. And I got a, sign, a, a job at a sign-making company. I don't know if they're still existing, but they were in the, in the middle of nowhere, not, not that far from here. And they used to make signs for, you know, if you go to like a nature reserve, you'll often have an information sign yeah. that tells you about the various uh, wildlife and fauna and that kind of thing. They used to do a lot of that sort of stuff. Sometimes they were made of, you know, fiberglass, or sometimes they were timber. And they used to do like uh, one of the more interesting jobs. They'd make like a relief uh, sign. So you'd, you'd, you'd put uh, a vinyl decal on the surface and a shot blast the surface and then the bits that were obviously masked would stay nice and smooth and the rest of it would end up textured like uh, and because timber obviously has that different densities you get like a, a wave sort of detail in the in the the unmasked sections yeah and sometimes we'd paint bits as well and there, there was you know works of art in their own right really yeah um so yeah if you ever one of these sort of you know be it a, a reservoir or whatever and you see one of these information signs chance of that's where it came from Right. See, yeah. that's fascinating. You, yeah, wonder where these, you just assume that, you know, there's just a, a local company puts it together. Well, but, you know, you get to that level. Yeah, I mean, they, they you know, they did a, you know, some weirder and wondrous things, you know, and ranging from, like, say, a metre square to sometimes, you know, three or four metres across, you know, and there was, they were big things. Um, yeah, so, that, that you know, that was interesting in its own way, but obviously it wasn't really what I wanted to get into. I wanted to get into, back into the design aspect. So, you know, luckily I ended up, at sea line and then obviously ultimately came over here um and again i was always interested in design so that's that's what led me here in the end um you know jay banks obviously designed nearly all of our own products as well as products for other people um and that's the bit i was interested in really i don't you know i like i like design i like things to be you know new uh innovative uh do things a little bit different perhaps what other people do you know it's, it's a the designer dream if you can simplify things and make you know, the whole thing out of one piece, happy days, you know, yeah. you can't always do that, but you, you did know, a pretty good if you job can do here. something that has multiple uses as well, um, and if, ideally if you could build itself and stick itself in a box, that'd be lovely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which yeah, you could argue, yeah. It's the future. Yeah, it's the future, especially with um, the robots I've seen today. You yeah, know, the future's yeah. there. It's, it's, well, it's if, you, if you see some of these science programs, and, you know, they, I'm sure NASA tried it, where they, they let the self folding robot you know they make something and when you get on site it would bend itself and turn it from a flat thing that was easily storaged 
into a, you know, uh, so who knows? You, you know, I suppose, you know, if you ever watch sci-fi stuff, it's all about liquid metal and all that stuff and the thing will turn itself into the shape you wanted. So it's probably not that far-fetched. It will probably happen one day. I'm also thinking then, so when you were at university, did you, this sounds silly, but did you actually study a design? Was, yeah, I studied yeah. Uh, transport design or vehicle design. That's right. what, that was where I wanted to get into, uh, you know, it was a dream job, if you like. I mean, the, the, a chap in the year above me, he, he ended up as uh, the he led head designer at McLaren. So you right. know, it can happen. I mean, obviously the guy was very gifted, his, was his name Rob Melville, something like that. So, uh, you know, he did very well. You know, he's one of those guys you saw him when he was doing his drawings and he was just an artist. So it was it was not a surprise to me when he did well. But unfortunately, it was one of those things, really. I mean, you know, you had to have a bit of money in the background to, to, to get that far. Right. You know, I, I, I did it up to degree level, but, you know, to, to be successful, a lot of people had to go to Masters. Uh, Royal College of Art was, you know, where you had to go, basically, and... It wasn't economically viable for me, unfortunately. I mean, whether I'd have done well, I don't know. You, you know, you, you don't know. But yeah, that, that, led, that led me into the design thing. And so it's been an interest ever since. The fascinating thing as well, I'm thinking, I know a guy and he, he works, um, I think he still works there for Jaguar on, on car designs. Not, not the whole thing. I think yeah, he's yeah. just part of a team. Mm-hmm. And the fascinating thing that he, he told me is that they were working on cars five years ahead of time and it's the same as how you work you know people just think oh that's great feature or that's a great gadget they Mm. if you get into the headspace of a designer thinking five years in advance because it takes you all that time it's no different to here unfortunately an idea can take seconds but realizing that idea and make it into a tangible thing unfortunately that can take years yeah uh, it's something that we do in day in day out you know there's there's some products that we're working on at the moment have probably been on the on the drawing board for for months some things, you know, depending on what it is, you know, they can be action quite quickly. But again, it all boils down to the manufacturing process. Again, we, you know, we, we make things in various different materials and the different processes. Some require tooling, some don't. You know, one of the things we're looking at at the minute is more sort of rapid manufacturing processes. You know, we, it's something we're quite interested in, but it's not quite there yet. You know, you know, you see a lot of these bureaus where they print parts you know, the cost is still high. I mean, it's great if you, you know, these these supercar manufacturers where they build only 50 cars a year, then, yeah, you can justify printing a, an exotic piece out of some, you know, fancy material, and it costs thousands. But, you know, it, it unfortunately, our market won't accept that at the moment, anyway. But, yeah, that's something we're looking at, you know, trying to find, you know, rapid tooling, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, at the minute, we're still doing it the old school way where you machine it out of a block of steel and, Unfortunately, there's a bit of a cost to that. So obviously, we're we're trying to find ways. You know, if we can if we if we can simplify it or do it in house, then we will. So that's something. You know, we, we we're not we're not uh, scared of spending money on the appropriate machinery. You know, if if there's if there's better methods, then we'll you know we'll we'll look into them. Which I can imagine is a fun part of your job because mm. from from your point of view, are you more design or technical or is it always a combination of the two design. i mean I, I i didn't like i say i did vehicle design rather than engineering so even though i most of the job is engineering in reality uh, it's not what i necessarily start I, I was one of the felt tip fairies as they always used to be called you know you draw a pretty picture and somebody else had to figure it out whereas i now have to do a bit of all of that so yeah, yeah it gives you a bit a, a better understanding you know if you understand how things are made and, and how they'll be tooled and obviously you can 
be a bit more educated in some of your decisions, I suppose. But then, you know, th- there's some things I would say that, you know, if, if, if you don't worry too much about how things are made, then it pushes the boundaries of, you know, you, you create yeah. new processes and, and, and to find means of making, you know, some of these more interesting shapes. You know, I mean, you, you see, you know, so a lot of this sort of, this more, I'm sure there's a name for it, where, you know, you get AI and it comes up with the most uh, efficient shape or the most structurally sound shape, and it's usually quite organic. Yeah. And and therefore, you know, you can't really make it any other means than 3D printing because, you know, there's just no way you could ever get it out of a mould or out of a tool. But it's interesting, you know, it's pushing the boundaries of what processes are available and and it creates new processes. I mean, we 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 were looking enough to go to a seminar the other day about laser technology you know we we use lasers for cutting uh we have a lot of products where it's cut out of sheet steel for example fairly fairly simple whereas they're showing there's a lot more applications from uh you know obviously marking you know once upon a time you could laser etch now you can sort of they can cut such shapes into the metal that they actually change the color so yeah so instead of having a printed branding for example you can have uh, what looks like it's been printed on there, but it's not. It's actually in the metal, which you know, so it doesn't wash away, it doesn't erode. It, you know, it, it, it's amazing what it can do. You know, laser drilling and all that sort of stuff. A bit like tattoos for metal, isn't it? Oh, potentially. Yeah. I, mean, I did say, well, could you do? You know, could you do that <laughs> to skin? Because I can't see why you couldn't. Um, so maybe that's the future of tattoos: is a laser rather than a needle, which would make a lot of sense, really. Yeah, t- um, that pleases me because there's a there's a creative side to me, but there's also a slight OCD. I like things exactly right. If you yeah. can get the same, it's, it, yeah, rather than somebody it just drawing it on a bit ad hoc, you can actually go, yeah, that's the image. Now burn it on straight. Them, burn it on me. Yeah, brand me. <laughs> 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 like that branding at another level with technology, which no one really, you know, yeah. a lot of people like technology. So yeah, you know, it's we always try to keep you know a finger on the pulse of what's what's coming next, and if it if it is applicable, you know, unfortunately, some of these things are a little bit fanciful. You know, they you, they always tell you what it can do and what it can't do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's only when you really explore it, you go, oh, it's maybe not as it's a little bit more limited than we perhaps first thought, but it'll get there. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're not we're not not afraid to spend a bit, invest a bit of money in the in up and coming technologies. No, that makes sense. So, with that in mind, what did J Banks look like when you first joined? Because of, when it, I first it was, started, it was a fairly uh, family owned, well, it's still family owned, family owned f- factory. It was fairly small affair when I first started. I think they had about 40, 50 people. I think when I started. And so that was Hobart Road in, in Tipton, which is not that far away from here, about 12 miles away from here. Um, so a fairly small company. I think they only had a few VMCs. He had one die-casting machine. And then the current MD, he had his own business. He, he's got uh, CNC lathes. And then we also procured some other companies, like moulding companies and so on and so forth. So eventually they all merged under one roof when we moved here, which was about 2012. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've probably tripled in size since those early days. And obviously, with a lot of obviously, you've had the tour, so you've seen yes. some of the yeah. the processes that we have under one roof. So we can design things, make them. You know, if you want to make a prototype, we can machine them. We can machine them out of the appropriate material. So if you want to do a test, we could. You know, we get a fair representation of what the final product will how it will behave. Uh, we could run our own testing facility. Yeah. So when we send the first samples to the customer we've got a good idea it's going to do exactly what we think it's going to do 
you know, and, and it saves them time and money in the testing process as well. Obviously, they still have to do their own official testing, but at least you know, you know, it will pass because we've already done that test. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's grown certainly a lot over the, the time I've been here. And how is your job? Is your job? Would you say it's gotten easier with technology and everything around it, or is it just harder because the possibilities are endless? Because I'm sort of getting at your inventor side. Yeah, so it's an interesting question actually. Um, I don't know if it's easier. I think it's broadened the horizons. You know, there's the, there's obviously more. The possibilities are endless. But trying to focus onto you know a specific thing sometimes is is arguably more difficult because you know you could go so many directions with with how you do something now. Choosing the right one is is difficult. I suppose it was a you know, yes. It's easy. Everybody be doing it. Wouldn't you? Everybody, yeah. You know, it's like uh, you know, in theory, there should be more designers in the world because. You know, every more people have got access to computers nowadays, and the software is available online usually for free if you're a student. Um, you know, 3D printing is available to more people, so you'd think there'd be more designers in the world, and yet I wouldn't say there are. Um, so, you know, it's one of those. I don't know. It, it it's good to have all these tools, but whether you what you can do with them is still you know it's up to you, I guess. Um, and also, you know, whatever we do, we've got to be financially viable. That's the, yes. that's the other thing. You know, we can, yeah. we can invent some wondrous things. If anybody else would buy them, it's another matter. Um, yep. Or to cost where people can afford to buy them, I suppose. Because that, that's the other thing. You know, we make everything in the UK, but obviously we can't compete with the likes of Asia and, and, and these upcoming manufacturing bases where obviously cost of labour is considerably less. Probably don't have to tie so many hands behind the back as they do it, you know, various legislation, environmental things that we have in this country. You know, we are a little bit more responsible than some. So, yeah, it's it's, it's difficult. But, you know, we'd like to think we're still competing. And, you know, I mean, we, we went to the Fit Show fairly recently and were surprised how many people were surprised that we build things in the UK. You know, everybody assumed that we buy it in from abroad. Um, so they was all pleasantly surprised. We said, oh, no, 20 miles down the road, mate. We do, do it all in-house. And we're very proud of that fact. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I, I've always said this to customers, anything's possible, just has to be feasible. Yes. But otherwise, well, there's no yeah. point doing it. Um, from a business point of view, anyway, I think the yeah, design side, yeah. I, I sort of liking it, I'm, I'm thinking, and I've probably been a bit hard on them. So we used to have architects come in and, and say, you know, we, we've designed this amazing property and mm. it's all around the glazing, but they you're sort of in a position where you've got the technical background and everything to go with it. So you know what's possible. Mm -hmm. But now I'm thinking, actually, you need the architects that are pushing the boundaries because we would look at it and say, ah, that's not, is it possible? And then we ask the question, we do some research. And I suppose going back to the earlier days, it was probably easier when and we're in a bit of a mindset, I think, with, it, with our industry is mm. yes or no. But there's this this grey yeah. area where you go, oh, maybe that's that's just yeah. That's try the other it. thing. Sometimes you need to be challenged. Yeah. That's the only way things move forward. You know, until a new problem arises or a new uh, you know application arises that hasn't got a solution, you know, you've got to find those solutions. So it, it does. You know, sometimes you need a few problems because that's yeah. where the you know innovation comes from. So yeah, we're not we're not afraid of uh, you know new challenges. Um, no. You know, that's what keeps it interesting, frankly. And I suppose without them as well, I'm thinking back to the sliding sliding doors, mm. it, you know, bifolds, then comes the sliding doors. There was a time where we didn't need a seven metre wide no, sliding patio it, but door. It, but, you know, um, people's ambitions grow and, and you know, and but these things are becoming more feasible for, you, for your average person, aren't they? Once upon a time, they were the, 
you know, you know, your, your millionaire's dream. Whereas now more people can attain these things, so it is good. You know, it is things are getting. You know, as these things develop, they, they become cheaper and more more available to to, to your average consumer. So that, that's good. You know, cars. Once upon a time, you know, you saw this exotica, and it was, you know, you didn't see it very often. Whereas now, everybody aspires to these things, and and you know, the the cost does eventually come down to where it's more attainable. You know, as as efficiencies, you know, technology catches up with uh, you know these these things, and it's easier and it's cheaper to make and. More easily recyclable, more responsible, all that kind of, all those wondrous buzzwords. Yeah, so yeah, it, it could get to everybody eventually. You know, once upon a time, people were quite happy just to have a, you know, a small patio door or a French door. I suppose it was a popular thing when I first got my first house. You know, plastic UPVC French door was about as good as it got. Yeah. Whereas now, everybody expects the whole back of the house to open up and be a, you know, seamless transition from the living room to your back garden and whatever. Because we've all seen those wondrous programs on Grand Designs where it's all possible. Yes, Grand Designs has <laughs> a lot to answer for. Yeah, uh, Kevin um, McLeod, I tell you. <laughs> and well, I suppose they do. They do heavily mention uh, lead times and things like that. So we uh, give yeah, people it, a little. Bit. I mean, it, it, it at least makes people a little bit perhaps more realise the the you know, the complexities of doing these projects, doesn't it? You know, I mean, we we joked earlier that nobody ever orders a glass soon enough. No, you no, know, they're never yeah. always surprised when it doesn't arrive, and it's like really. <laughs> Have you never watched this program before? <laughs> <laughs> so going back to you make your own handle now, and that's something yes. you, you started to make products. But a lot of people don't realise the same as me how much you do make. And yes, uh, I mean we're you know we've been one of those sort of background companies for many years where we we design and manufacture a lot of products for other people, but rarely get the you know the sort of the limelight if you like. So. You know, I think one one of the things COVID kind of highlighted to us was obviously when people stopped ordering things, you know, our, our order book looked a bit slim. You know, we thought, well, maybe we should be making products for ourselves because we have done historically, you know. So, yeah, we've, we've come up with the RT handle uh, as one of those products where we wanted to do something for ourselves that doesn't necessarily compete with our customers' products because that would obviously be bad business. Yeah, and it's, and it's an opportunity to show what we can do and, and yeah, you know, when we're sort of not constrained by other people's briefs, if you like. So that's the first example of that. We're working on a few other products at the moment for ourselves. Uh, the next one is going to be um, we're working on a bifold handle, which has some resemblance to the RT handle. So if you wanted to sweet it, you could. And it and it has some of the same sort of merits where it stows away fairly concealed when it's not in use, and it'd be fairly flush. Although we're going to have the option of you could make it flush or face fix. With a simple bezel, so that's that'll be an interesting one. You know, we've shown a few people so far. Reception's been good. Yeah. But until you put it in the marketplace, you never really know. So that, that's that, that'll be interesting. Well, it's and it's it's a great example of what you can achieve, right from design to manufacturing and keeping control of the whole process. It's very very interesting. Yeah, it's it's um, you know because I mean I, I imagine some companies are fairly reliant on other people to do this sort of thing so it, it is liberating to be able to you know if we come up with a, an idea over lunch you know rmd loves to throw a few curveballs at us and, <laughs> oh i've had an idea can you do it um you know so we do always try you know and most things are possible um but like i say you know unfortunately to put on the marketplace you never really know you know as, as much as we try to you know get feedback and 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 you know listen to the people in the marketplace and see what's 
you know, unfortunately, in this country, I think, anyway, uh, we are a little bit, we do get a bit sort of accustomed to things, you know. We don't yeah. like change, and sometimes you need a bit of change to yeah. to spice things up a bit, don't you? Um, exactly. And again, this is something we found with the RT handle. A lot of people have said they loved it, but whether they buy it is another matter. Or, you know, you always end up coming against this thing where, oh, well, I'm used to buying this for a, a fraction of the price of yours. Why would I want to change, even if it's a better product? You know, some people, you know, it, it's it's a hurdle that they, they struggle with, which is a shame. I think other countries don't necessarily have that same problem. They just go, oh, I like, oh, I like that. Oh, it's a little bit extra. I can live with that. It's fine because it's, it's, it's interesting. It's new. It's unique or whatever. So, yeah, that's that's one of the limitations of this country, I think. Sometimes we perhaps get a little bit complacent. Yeah. Um, which is a shame because I think, you know, we could, we could be up there with the best of them if we tried. Yeah, well, there's I mean, enough talent in this country. Let's be exactly, honest. and uh, I mean, some of the brands that I saw in the factory earlier—I'm not doing well mentioning names—but you know, <laughs> you can see that your your, your products are out there uh, mm-hmm. and, they're, and they're doing a fantastic job. So, yeah, yeah. and uh, so two places I want to go with this is: so, how did the RT handle come about? Who's who's sort of? Well, this is our <laughs> RMD's uh, original brain brainchild, child, whatever the expression is. It was his original problem. <laughs> People love to come to us with problems. Yeah, so his problem was basically he, he, he had small children. Uh, they have blinds in their house. And if he wasn't the one operating the blind, then inevitably them blinds would get snagged on the handle and so on and so forth. So his thought was if he could come up with a handle at fairly low profile so it didn't clash with the blinds, looked more aesthetically pleasing, you know, they wouldn't get, you know, the blinds wouldn't get destroyed, the children wouldn't get berated, etc. So that's where it came from originally. Um, obviously, it was a you know designer's dream at the beginning because obviously he's got to you know disappear up its own backside and you know fit existing windows so they could be retrofitted. Uh, you know, it had to be fairly small yet still strong. You know, that, all the whole, the usual problems. You know, it, it's evolved over time. It wasn't a, a one it you know one scribbler picture and it became so. It has changed through various iterations as we've tried to improve the strength and get material out, make it more cost-effective, so on and so forth, to where it is now. So, yeah, and like I say, most people seem to like it, uh, but whether that ultimately turns into a you know profitable product, will you know, time will tell. Obviously, we're fairly new to the whole marketing side of things because we've never really needed to sell our own product. We've always worked through with other, other um, companies. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a learning curve, yeah. um, which we can only get better at. Well, also, I'm thinking, is there, of all these products that you've worked with and on, is there a favourite of yours? Yes, I've got a favourite. Unfortunately, I can't refer to it by name because we did it for another company. But it was a product that basically uh, we wanted something that would, it be when it's in its open or closed position, would disappear back into its own discussion um, and it would pop out in a sort of theatrical manner, which obviously had to have some kind of mechanism behind it, which... Isn't that different to how a ballpoint pen works, you know, a clicky ballpoint pen? You know, so we, you know, we, the thing had to be telescopic, so it had to disappear, you know, it had to project a lot further out than the space it occupied, which was an interesting challenge. Um, so, yeah, that, that thing I can't mention by name is one of my favourites. Uh, sure, I've been told it's sold many a door that it's been fitted to just because it's a bit more unique, you know, if it's the one thing that determines one manufacturer's door to another, you know, I'll... You know, that sold a few doors. Yeah. Uh, whether they admit to that is another matter. But, uh, yeah, that was an interesting product. Obviously, there's been new iterations come out since. But, of course, we've also it's also, in some ways, 
a bit of a pain because obviously people have want similar you know attributes, but obviously we can't repeat. You know, we can't. You know, we we pride ourselves in not. You know, even though we do with multiple companies, you know, we don't share yeah. technology between them or or whatever because obviously you know they all want their own product, their own unique you know uh, identity. So yeah, it, it's 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 tricky. You know, every time we come up with a new innovation, we've got to come up with another one to best it next time because again, we've made another rod for our own back. But it keeps it interesting. Um, part of the fun. Yeah, it's yeah, and, and also I know that handle, and it's definitely sold some doors for me. I'm sure. So uh, yeah, I think a lot of people owe you a lot. To be honest. Well, I don't, I don't know if they'd see it that way, but uh, yeah, it, it, you know, I mean. You, some of our best work, unfortunately, has been done in other people's name, um, which I can't complain. Obviously, he's kept us in business for certainly since I've been with the company. Uh, but yeah, we, we'd like to perhaps get our name out there a little bit more and just just remind people, you know, what we can do, you know, through from start to finish. I don't think there's many companies at the minute that could can offer the same, you know, variety of services that we can. Uh, certainly not in the in the centre of you know the Midlands, yeah, and uh, yeah, with the scale and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I've seen that. The, the so, you know, we can, and also transport links. You know, we're easy accessible, certainly by land, if not vice here, vice sea. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you do want to buy a boat, <laughs> yeah, that's it. yeah, build it as far away from the sea as you can. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, the history of the company it started in 1846 uh, in Willenall. Uh, it's not so far from here. Uh, started making uh, padlocks back in the day, right? Which is obviously a typical thing for this area. You know, lock making was a uh, synonymous with the area um, back in the day. Obviously, unfortunately, it's not as prevalent as it once was. And then over the years, they were made various things from bulletproof vests to kit bag handles uh, until we sort of got into the nineties, where RMD's father joined the business, and then we got into sort of making them all sort of window fenestration hardware that perhaps we're more known for now and then when i started with the company so we was in hobart road in sort of uh, early 90s and then eventually we moved here in 2012 uh, and obviously we've expanded ever since and then obviously we've tripled in size i suppose um, and, and added a lot of uh, strings to our bow we're to the stage now where three questions Firstly, is there a low point that stands out for you in that journey? Uh, COVID was a low point. I'm sure it was for many people. Uh, obviously, a difficult time. You know, we supplied to a lot of the building industry, ultimately. And obviously, you know, a lot of that stopped for a long period of time during COVID. So, yeah, there were some dark days when, you know, you, you, you do worry you're going to have to cut down the workforce and, you know, people are going to lose their jobs, that kind of thing. You know, it's always a concern for any any employer, I guess. But yeah, we, we we come through it, um, you know. And of course, when COVID sort of calmed down a little bit, then you know we saw a massive increase in in in, in business, obviously. And then we had the struggle of trying to keep up with it. Uh, is yeah. it we've sort of just come down the, you know, from that peak now. It's calmed down a bit. Probably calmed down a bit too much for our liking. But you know, unfortunately, one of those, it's been one of those businesses where there's peaks and troughs anyway. Yeah. You know, depending on the time of year, you know, and obviously now people have. Obviously, COVID was great in some respects because people thought, okay, I can't go on holiday. I'll spend the money on my house. Exactly. Uh, now they can go abroad. They're going, yeah, stuff that. I've done everything I need to. I'm going to go enjoy myself. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was some low points there, but obviously we've, we've got through it. Hopefully without too many, um, you know, people falling by the wayside. 
but yeah, we're hopefully on the open up again. Um, you know, we're hopeful for the future. And then the flip side to that question: Is there a high point that sticks out for you? I don't know. I mean, it's difficult to put a high. There's been too many. Some would say, you know, we've 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 done all right for ourselves over the years. You know, we've had a lot of products where, you know, perhaps they've had a little bit of recognition. You know, we've, we've you know we've we've had a little pat on the back every now and again, which is always nice. Yeah, so it's difficult to say a particular high point, but obviously, I suppose when we moved here, you know, perhaps you know when we obviously brought all of our sister companies in house and, and became a sort of unified company, that was good, you know, and, it, and it's great obviously to be able to give the tour, uh, show yeah. people what we can do, which we couldn't necessarily do before. So that, that was that's a high point for, for us for sure. I like that. I like that, and yeah, I like the tour. So uh, yeah, that works. <laughs> so last question. If you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from the fenestration world, oh, wow. who would it be? Obviously, I'd have to say Norman Barrell, uh, <laughs> slightly Stay biased because he's here now. Um, <laughs> but he, yeah, Norman's been a, a friend of the company for a long time, uh, so we were very lucky when we could bring him in-house. Obviously, you've met him yourself, the, the man, yes. the myth, the legend. Yep. Uh, and obviously, he's obviously a very charismatic and good-looking gentleman, so if you're going to be stuck on an island, why not? You know... Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and also, uh, I should point out, he's also a bit of a YouTube, um, you know, veteran now. Obviously, from the Fit Show, he was very lucky enough to get his couple of moments of fame. So I do recommend if anybody gets the opportunity to look to, you know, go go onto YouTube, do a search for the Fit Show from uh, 2022, and check out Norman Barrell's uh, enthusiasm. It's a uh, you know very inspirational stuff. Also, John Wellman, he's also a veteran of YouTube. He he, he done a little bit on a previous Fit Show, so. I recommend people catch that as well. Brilliant. Putting them all this in should there. be really grateful for me for, for mentioning. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Pete, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. And uh, open invitation. Was, you know, waffle and some of it was usable. It's, it definitely. And uh, <laughs> open invitation, you're welcome back anytime. So we'll, we'll see when the next product's out. Okay. Have another chat. Thanks, Pete. Cheers. No problem. That was a great conversation with Pete. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.